my first role I kind of felt like was a gift. Mm -hmm. And it finally taught me a lot about humility after I didn't get a role after that for two years. And I was able to actually put the work in and see if this is actually what I really wanted. And once the universe and God found that I'm ready for that next step, then I was gifted that next step. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Off the Cuff, where conversations lead to inspiration. I'm your host, Christian Palmer, and today I'm joined by someone who's been in some incredible shows, such as David Makes Man, produced by Oprah Winfrey and Michael B. Jordan, NBC's hit Law & Order spinoff, Organized Crime, and now starring in Batwoman as the first black Joker. He is a producer, actor, journalist, and model. Without further ado, here's Off the Cuff with Nick Cregan. What's good, man? What's going on, bro? How are you? Good. I like the... Uh... The intro is pretty fire. Man, you do it all, bro. That's, that's exactly no, what you do, man. I was talking about you, man. Nah. This, is, this, is, this is cool seeing you do this thing. This is awesome, man. I appreciate yeah. that, man. And thank you so much for being on to the show. How are you feeling today? I feel great. Um, COVID-free, you know? That's man. rare yeah. these days. So, no, I'm feeling really good, man. How about you? I'm doing great, bro. Great. Doing great, man. Uh, just excited to kick off this episode. I know there's a lot to talk about today. Uh, full circle moment and stuff because when I first launched, you know, off the cuff, you were actually the first person that I wanted. One of the few people I wanted on the show. And look at that, you know what I'm saying? When when God says it's time, it's time. Yeah, man. I uh, When I saw you interview my boy Nana, I was like, nah, I got to get on there. We got to do the Albany, yep. you Albany connection for sure. Let's so, do that, man. Look at happy that. Happy to be here. I appreciate that, man. And I know uh, you just came off a of vacation. Yes. You know, you were saying you was at Jamaica. I know Jamaica is super proud of all your success, bro. I, yeah. I know they take pride into that. Uh, how was it being back in the motherland? Uh, it was, it's always, always amazing when I get to go home. You know, I, I mean, I'm from New York, born and raised in New York. But uh, as you said, it's the motherland. You know, my mom is from there. I grew up in a pretty traditional Jamaican household my whole life, um, raised by my mom and my grandma and all of my mom's family. Um, so no, it felt really good. And this was the first time, believe it or not, that I actually drove myself on the island. So I brought three of my friends with me and I wanted to give them like a full authentic Jamaican experience. Right. So I decided to rent a car and we didn't do the resort thing. We stayed at one of my family's houses out there. And, um, it was an Airbnb, right? Yeah. So my family has an Airbnb system out there. Uh, if you guys are interested, definitely hit me on, on Instagram and I'll plug you in. But uh, yeah, it was it was awesome, bro. You know, I had like three interviews when I was out there from the Jamaican media. Uh, they're they're a good time. They're always proud of their people. Anybody that claims Jamaica, yeah. trust and believe that if you accomplish anything, Jamaica will snag you as one of their <laughs> own. Um, so no, it was it was love. You know, the food, the water. Everything was perfect, bro. That's dope, man. And I saw this one clip where uh, you was driving in the middle. I think you were stuck in traffic a little bit and you yeah. you picked up a newspaper and stuff. Yeah. You know, tell me about that feeling that you picked up this newspaper, you got it, and then boom, you saw yourself in it. That was surreal. Um, so I was driving from Ocho Rios to Kingston. My aunt and my uncle were cooking my friends and I dinner on a Sunday, you know, traditional Jamaican Sunday dinner. We had oxtail, <laughs> uh, salad, rasta pasta on the side, Ray and nephew rum and all of that. But before we got there, um, we're on the road and Kingston is pretty much like any city, right? You have people selling stuff all over the street whenever cars are stopped. So I saw this newspaper uh, carrier 
having the Jamaican Observer in hand, and I was like, I did an interview a few days ago, so I wonder if my articles in this Sunday Observer, it, it was like poetic because we stopped at a red light. There were a few few cars in front of me, so I had time to ask for the paper. I told him to keep the change. I'm eating a beef patty <laughs> in traffic, and my boy Glad, shout outs to Glad, he had the camera rolling. Mm, wow. So I open up the paper to the entertainment section, and then I see myself, and I'm just like, damn, that is... That's wild, you know. A uh, couple years ago, I would have never expected to be in Jamaican newspaper. Two years later, so uh, it was a great feeling. I had like four copies of other articles that I was in saved for me. Once I got to Kingston, my aunt was saving them for me. Wow. So yeah, man, it was a, uh, it was one of those moments that you you definitely want to tell your kids about if you have them one day. So mm. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing those stories at some point. That's dope. That's dope, man. I'm so super excited. That I was able to also like vividly see that because I could just sense the excitement. In, in yeah, your face. man. I, it, it's wild because I told Glad I was like, I don't know how you were able to capture that. Mm. Like he just so knew. He just, he just knew. knew. He yeah. just was rolling. I guess that's what a, a director does. Yeah. But he was rolling, and uh, it, it just happened perfect timing because as soon as I found the article, I was able to like feel that. And then the light turned green, and I was wow. like, all right, well, let's keep going. Damn, bro, yeah. that's dope, man. Yeah. Um, and you talked about family as well, and I know you have this strong connection with your family, um, in particular your grandmother, you know, kind of yeah. growing up. Out of all the things you said you were watching on TV, it'd always be the news and the Oscars, For top sure. of the list. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Tell us a little bit more about that strong connection you had with your family, some of the lessons they taught you growing up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my mom would uh, be working a lot. My mom's a nurse. Mm -hmm. So she, uh, when I was young, she would work the uh, three to 11 shift or the 11 to seven, mm -hmm. um, three being three in the afternoon to 11 at night. So when I would come home from school, my grandma was always there. Um, she was retired as long as I was alive. Mm -hmm. So I would get there. You know, I would eat something and then she, it would be like five o'clock and she would have on Peter, it would be Peter Jennings at the time. And we would watch the news together. I always knew what was going on. <laughs> and I never found it boring because it was just uh, interesting to see like worldviews of, of, of different people. And um, another thing we'd watch together would be Barbara Walters 2020 mm. on Fridays. And I was always excited to see her interviews. Wow. And I think that's when I got my initial connection to journalism. I wanted to ask people interesting questions. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom's family, my uncles, they would always be quizzing me on on just like life and asking me how I felt about certain things. Oh, wow. They would have me read the newspaper and like talk back to them about it. Um, my grandpa and I would talk about sports all the time. So pretty much everything that I do for a living, it came from young. Like I, I was always having those type of conversations growing up. And then you brought up the Oscars. So Every year, my grandma, my mom, and I would watch them together. And there was one particular uh, Oscar speech that really stuck with me. It was when Jamie Foxx won for Best Actor when he uh, portrayed Ray Charles. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about his connection with his grandma and how he wouldn't mm -hmm. be there on that stage if she wasn't the one who pushed him and believed in him. Wow. And I remember looking at my grandma, and I was like, I'm going to give a speech like that one day. And she mm -hmm. was like, I know you will. And, you know, when you're that age, you don't necessarily— How old were you? I was probably about— no older than like 12. Wow. Um, and you don't think that those type of small words that you put out there will end up materializing into a dream one day. But um, I think that's pretty much what happened to me. And, you know, the, the, the main theme that I always got from my family was never giving up. 
Mm. My grandma, my grandpa, they came here to America pretty much with little and nothing. You know, my grandma was a maid um, when she first got sponsored to come to America and start working. So she worked for a pretty wealthy family in New Jersey, and she was able to continue to bring her kids like up to America after that. And they made a life for themselves. They were able to buy a home. They were homeowners. And all of my grandma's children went on to do um, pretty good jobs for themselves. And, you know, her grandchildren are doing their thing now. And to be able to be interviewed by her home country newspaper and tell her story is just wild to me. You know, she was from a small place in Jamaica, um, a town uh, in, in, in St. Mary. And, you know, driving through there, even when I was there the last time and seeing her face in the newspaper because I sent them some pictures of her and myself wow. together. It's just, it's all surreal. But uh, the main theme of what I learned from my family is just like continuing and never giving up no matter what. That's beautiful, bro. And I appreciate you sharing that. And, I, you know, for me, I connect with that so well because I also have a very strong or had a strong connection with my grandmother. And uh, sh- this, what you see today and what you see is literally her legacy living through me. I mean, I want to I want to correct you though cuz you said you had but you still have it. Yeah, like You're right. You're you know right. what I'm saying? Like no the thing that I've learned about human connections is they never die. Like even if the person mm-hmm. isn't here in the physical form anymore, you're literally like you said, the legacy that continues on. So part of your grandma is always going to be with you and that's what I had to realize for myself mm-hmm. cuz when she passed back in 2017, Initially, you feel that feeling of like grief and missing them, but then you still have dreams about them. You still, you're able to like feel them when you're in certain situations and channel their energy always. So it's kind of one of those things where uh, like, almost like watching the movie Black Panther, Mm -hmm. where you see Chadwick, his character um, is still connected with his ancestors that have passed on a long time. And um, I think it's important for us to realize that even when people pass on, we still carry their legacy with us so they never really die wow you know? amen yeah. and i appreciate you sharing that yeah. too and i think that's super important um you know and, and uh, we're both doing it right living the legacy through on and i'm sure they are very proud of you so keep on bro. appreciate that um and you touched about uh journalism a little bit right you talked a little bit more and i want to transition a little bit into your earlier career in journalism um, you know, you've interviewed some heavy hitters, you know, at your time when you were doing some journalism. I met a couple people. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Stephen A. Smith, you did uh, Derek Jeter as well when he first retired. Yeah. Um, you know, just as I take you back to memory lane in those moments, what were some of your favorite memories? Man, I mean, you come, you touched on a couple of them. Uh, my first ever interview with anybody outside of a high school setting was with Stephen A. Smith. You know, I went to the NABJ convention in Philadelphia back in 2011, um, National Association of Black Journalists. And that was a crossroads for me because I was a sophomore at SUNY Albany. I had no clue what I was doing with my career path. I was like, okay, I picked a school that isn't necessarily known for journalism, so I'm not going to necessarily get an internship handed to me. And um, I went to the ESPN Task Force Breakfast, which was a yearly mentorship breakfast they have at NABJ, and you're supposed to get paired up with an ESPN employee as your mentor, Mm. if they match with you. Um, And I happened to randomly sit at a table that Stephen A. Smith was sitting at. And whenever the people on stage were done with their presentations, they opened up the floor to questions. And there were about maybe 300 people in the the breakfast hall. And 
I saw the mic open up and there was a woman sitting next to me who was about to ask a question. But I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm getting up. I'm asking the first question. So I got up, got to the mic. And before I got up there, I had no clue what I wanted to ask. Mm. But all of a sudden, the words just started coming out. And initially, after I was done asking the question, I felt like I was going to like shit myself. No, no lie. <laughs> because I felt like I had just messed up everything. What did you ask? I asked, I said, all right. Everybody on this stage is talking about mentorship and giving young people chances. But why is it that every single company that you all work for that I've applied for internships for, I've never even gotten an answer back. I've never gotten a no, a yes, a maybe. It's pretty much like I feel like I've been ignored. So what does a kid at a no-name journalism school have to do to get companies like yours to actually care mm -hmm. and give us that opportunity? Because you talk about experience, but if none of you are giving the, the students that go to schools like mine in, in a shot at any of these experiences, how do we ever build a resume? Mm. So I was finished. The, the crowd was silent, looking at me like, you just fucked up. <laughs> and That's a valid question. It is a valid question. And the woman um, who will rename, main, she will remain nameless. She started scolding me and pretty much saying like, that's not how you go about getting an internship. And she, all of a sudden everything just went silent in the room. Mm. And I was like, all right. Maybe I could be a carpenter. I don't know. <laughs> I'll pick something else. But I sat down. Stephen A. Smith looked at me and he was like, we need to talk, you know, and his. Just like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think he was getting ready to give me some like cold advice about like, yo, you can't come at, come at a room as a young dude speaking like that because people are going to look at you and be like, who does this dude think he is? Mm. But then this woman uh, who will. Actually, I will share her name. Uh, her name is Stacy Williamson. She was in charge of ESPN recruiting. Uh, she got off the stage. She handed me her business card and she was like, I promise you after this, you won't ever have an experience like that again. Wow. She gave me her card. I looked at it. I saw ESPN recruiting and Stephen A already knew who she was. And he was like, he was in shock. Fire. So after that, I got all these business cards. Everybody's wanting to talk to me. And initially everything just changed at that moment. Uh, after the breakfast, Stephen A brought me to the side and he was like, look, man, I was going to tell you exactly what you probably thought I was like, you know, you got to try to be more strategic in how you come at things. But for whatever reason, like what you said worked up there. And, you know, if you want to ask me some questions on camera, like I'd love to give you uh, an opportunity to interview me later, build a reel. And I was like, wow. bet. So then I interviewed him. It's still on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, I saw that you had a green shirt on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that was my first interview. And um, shout outs to Stacey Williamson for, you know, long story short, after that, you know, I was able to get an ESPN internship and it was the complete dream internship you could imagine. You know, I went to the NBA um, draft. Mm. I was interviewing people like Cedric the Entertainer, Donald Faison, Jennifer Hudson. Um, I went to a few Knicks games. I, I was at the Honey Nut Cheerios game with, with KG and, and Mello where they went at it. KG stiff-armed me. Word? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about what went on that day. Yeah, so I was like, so I was, I was uh, doing some work for ESPN New York after my internship, and I would go to Knicks and Nets games. Um, the Knicks game I happened to be at was that Honey Nuts Cheerios game. And I went to the back to ask KG a question. I wanted to ask him, yo, what did you say to Melo? Like, what happened? Right. And I'm going up to him with my recorder, <laughs> and he legit was just like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. KG was like, what the That's f crazy. And then where did you have this drive just to always ask these questions? Like you say, like you didn't, 
when you first got into that mic, you said you didn't know what to ask, but there's just the, the flow of words just started coming in. Like, where did you get this drive just to be the first one to I've always ask? been a go-getter, man. I've never, you know, I've always rooted for the underdog. I I was an Eagles fan my whole life growing up. You know, granted, I was a, I'm a Yankee fan too, and I got to experience a lot of championships. But being an Eagles fan, you know, we would always get to that Donovan McNabb and and and, and the rest of those dudes would get Man, to that like reminds me of Madden days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would get to the NFC Championship and then always not win. And I was always just like, you know what, the underdogs got to win at some point. And um, I was just like. Nobody's going to hand it to you. Nobody's going to come to my neighborhood and give out jobs and things of that nature. You know, nobody's going to come to my university and say, hey, do you want to work at ESPN? Um, so I was always just pretty much the type of guy to just find a way to get it done. Um, even after leaving high school, I didn't graduate with a 4.0. I graduated with like a 79 GPA from high school and I barely made it into Albany. But once I got there, I was like, all right, I'm here. So let's make the best of it. Let's 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 make something happen. And I've always been in the interest of proving people wrong. I love whenever people yeah. doubt me. I love that shit. Like I love knowing that, you know, I come from a, a past of having certain teachers write me off and not expect me mm -hmm. to achieve high levels of success. And then ten years later, after I graduate my high school, my guidance counselor, Mr. Foy, shout outs to Joe Foy, he invited me to be the commencement speaker. And those same teachers that doubted me had to watch me give a speech and talk about what I've done ever since I left there. And, you know, while I talk about the people that doubt me, I also can't forget about the people that haven't. And that's mm -hmm. why I'm here, you know, because there are a lot of people who have supported me over the years. So that's beautiful. Yeah. As we transition a little bit more and kind of segue throughout your career, we talked about uh, sports journalism, you know, now an actor you know, doing your thing and stuff. Let's give the audience a little bit more of the background story of how acting came about. Yeah, it's wild. You know, um, acting has always been in me, I guess. I was always I was always the, 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 the kid in the family that was super witty. I always had, like, improv skills. I would always love to joke at the di dining table and entertain my family members, even if it meant getting in trouble <laughs> and, and, and making jokes when I'm not supposed to. I... I don't know. I just felt like I had to be that dude to mm -hmm. to entertain everybody. So ever since a little kid, I feel like I've always been making scripts up in my mind and scenarios and using my imagination and making things up. So I'd always been acting my whole life, you know, and then it, with journalism being on camera, as you know, like it doesn't matter if you're having a bad day or not. Like if you had a terrible argument before you started this interview, you still would be putting your best face on. and Got to, right? Yeah. yeah. So we all do a little acting in life. Um, we all wear different masks. And I just feel like when I got into the corporate world, I realized pretty quickly that this wasn't for me. You know, um, even though I liked journalism, I hated the hierarchy of how these corporations worked. Um, I hated knowing that you know, my idea necessarily wasn't my idea. The company decided to own it. And I started wanting to make my own stuff that nobody could say they had a hand in. So I would make sketches and skits on my phone and put it on Instagram. And, you know, uh, one of those sketches was that Jamaican oxtail video sketch that went viral. And um, I actually, um, I'm, I'm able to say it now, like it was a, 
product of me going out for drinks the night before with my friends and feeling like I didn't want to go to work the next day. So I called out <laughs> and I was just chilling with my brother, got oxtail, made a video, put it on Instagram because I just felt like it. And it did stuff that I had no clue it would actually do. Um, then Oprah Winfrey's team saw it and, you know, the rest was getting cast in David Makes Man and realizing that I have my first nugget of success in the acting world. This should be a signal and a sign that I should keep going. But I didn't want to give up that, that, uh, that comfort of having a corporate paycheck every two weeks. And uh, when I got laid off from that corporate job at, at Riot Studios, um, that, was, that was my time where I just said, you know what, I'm not applying for another corporate job ever. I'm going to do whatever I have to do for money to give me time to do auditions and um, find management. And that's what I did. Wow. Look at that. And uh, it just takes me back to the moment because I did come across the video. And like you said, it went viral. Um, and it's funny enough how everything came full circle. And when you mentioned that they DM'd you, you thought it was a scam, but yeah, also... because who the... Who, what casting director hit you up on Instagram? Different. Actually, it was Facebook. Oh, word? Yeah, it was Facebook, Facebook Messenger. Messenger. Yeah. <laughs> and I just happened to randomly be checking my, 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 my messages because the video was all over the place. And there were family members and people from Jamaica and all over the place writing me saying like they had seen it. And then one of those messages was from Carmen Cuba Casting. And I'm like what? Who the hell? At the time, I didn't know who Carmen Cuba casting was, mm. not realizing that she's one of the m biggest casting directors in the, in the States. Like she casts uh, Stranger Things and, and shows like that. So when I saw Narcos, I was like, Carmen Cuba, let me Google this. And I was like, oh shit, this is real. I hit up my friend who was an actor and I'm like, yo, they want me to audition for this show, David Makes Man. She's like, Terrell Alvin McCraney, Oscar winner, mm. Moonlight. I'm like getting more and more nervous. I'm like, all right, you don't got to just <laughs> tell me what I need right. to do. So uh, my friend Danielle Pinnock, who, who's an actor on the show Ghosts, actually, check that out on CBS. She's the one who led me to an um, acting coach in the city. Mm. And I just, you know, put my mind to it, sent in the tape. And a few days later, I got my role, my first ever role. That's fire, bro. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Now, t tell us a little bit more about the mindset that you had going into the audition. Like, wh what's the Nick approach? <sighs> well, the way I'm, I'm very much uh, one of those people that believes in signs and like serendipity. So being that this was my first ever audition and it was a Jamaican character on a show and it just like fell into my lap, I kind of was like, all right this is my job to lose. That's the way I was looking at it. I was like, okay, why would God like just throw me this alley without me like wanting to just tomahawk it? You know what I mean? And uh, I just made sure that I did my homework. I, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put my real mind into it. And I did the practice. I went to coach with my dude, Lee Colston. And um, when I sent in the tape, I kind of just, I watched it like 50 times. And I was like, each time I watched it, I started believing it more. I was like, yo, mm. I'm going to book this. Like, this is mine. And I just envisioned myself putting that audition tape online later for people to watch to see like, oh, I wonder what Nick's tape looked like before he played this role. Like, I was just already playing out these scenarios in my head. I was imagining what I was wearing to the red carpet. Um, wow. I was imagining me meeting Oprah Winfrey one day. Like, I had all of these things, like, visualized in my head, and they all came to fruition. Mm. Uh, now that I think about it, I'm just like, damn, that really 
it it's true. Like if you really can visualize something before it even materializes in this 3D environment, it doesn't mean that it hasn't happened already. Like if it happened in your mind, that means it already happened. So you just got to live through it. Wow, bro. Yeah. You, you, you were hitting the gems on top of gems. And I believe in the same way, like manifestation is so real. And um, manifesting just certain things. Like I told you when we started like full circle moment to have you on the show. Um, the fact that you said you wanted to meet Oprah, it actually happened, Bro, right? It happened, is yeah. it is it true what they all say? You know about meeting Oprah, like what, what it was it? What is it? How, tell me a little bit more about that experience, <laughs> bro. All right, so I'm at the premiere, and <laughs> he's about to go into it. <laughs> it's wild. So they're about like because this is pre-COVID, so there are a bunch of people at um we we had the premiere at Neuhaus in L.A. and the whole cast is there. And I had already seen episode one like three times. So there were about 10 minutes left in the episode. And I'm like, all right, I'm starving. So I'm going to go upstairs and, and get something to eat before like the whole um, audience goes up there. So my, I told my manager, my talent manager, Corey, I was like, I'm going to go upstairs and get something. To eat. He was like, cool, I'm going to finish watching the episode. So I go upstairs and it's me by myself on the roof. And all the food is out and I'm a food. I love to eat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, oh, bet. Perfect. <laughs> I'm get a little of this, a little of yeah. that. So then I see the PR, um, the PR person for David Makes Man and he works at OWN. And he's like, Nick, how'd you like the first episode? I'm like, great, man. You know, I just wanted to come up here early to get something to eat. He's like, well, Miss Winfrey's up here if you want to meet her. Wow. And it was just like, I'm by myself. Nobody's asking her questions. And they're like, He's like, do you want to meet Oprah Winfrey? It felt like <laughs> <laughs> felt like one of those like weird, yeah. like everything stops moments. And I'm like, You got the yeah. red carpet coming around. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It was just wild. And then I turn and Oprah's there and she's obviously has the crazy aura like you would imagine mm -hmm. Oprah to have. I go over to her and I can ask her anything, say anything in this moment. My mind goes blank. <laughs> I don't know what to say to her. Uh, the, the only thing that could come to my mind, she was like, hi, I'm Oprah. And I'm like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm Nick. I played Desmond. She's like, I know who you are. And I was wow. just like, and then everything's quiet. And I'm just looking at her and I'm like, one of my friends works <laughs> at, at, at own. And she's like, okay, you want to take a picture? I'm like, cool. Take a picture. And then immediately I'm like, damn, I just fucked up my one opportunity to ask Oprah any question I had. But um, I know we'll meet again. I know we'll see each other again. For sure. But um, it was it was a cool photo op, nonetheless. That's dope, man. Yeah. She'll see this too and be like, I, I got to meet Nick again. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We manifest on the show, bro. So, you know what I'm saying? It's going to come full circle. For again. sure. Um, you know, so after David Makes Man, uh, another opportunity came about, uh, Law and Order. Yeah. But before that, you know, you talked about it in tons of interviews. And, and in the past, you said that there was a two-year gap between David Makes Man in January of 2019 to Law and Order, you know, January of 2021. You know, I kind of want to look into and dig a little bit deeper into that two-year gap to see what are some of the challenges Nick was facing at the time? What was Nick going through and what kept him going? Well, you know, um, as we get older, we obviously get wiser and we we become just overall more round, well-rounded human beings. And I feel like when I booked David Makes Man, um, I was not realizing what, the acting world was like, you know, what it was like to be going on constant auditions and actually grinding. I hadn't grinded to get that role in my opinion. You know, I, I made a great video. I did my creativity and all that stuff, but I was getting paid really well as a corporate employee working at this creative agency. 
doing uh, video production. So I wasn't struggling by any stretch of the imagination when I acted in David Makes Man. If anything, that joint just boosted me and I got paid the most I had ever gotten paid collectively in that year at the mm -hmm. time. So when, 20, when, uh, when we went into 2019, I had uh, left the corporate world and I was like, okay, I'm sitting on a nice chunk of money right now. Um, I know my next role is going to be coming like that. It didn't, mm. you know, uh, I finally met my talent manager, Corey Thompson, who I'm still with. That's my dude. So, and we just started grinding the pavement. We started going on auditions. I started taking uh, acting classes. I was just really putting my head into it. And I was like, I'm finally an actor. Bro, after six months of not working, I was like, okay, like, I know that the next six months are going to be fruitful. Then it was 12 months of not working. Then I go into 2020 and it's January 2020. And I'm like, okay. It's been a full year since I've gotten any type of paycheck. Mm -hmm. um, I know 2020 is going to be amazing. COVID, mm -hmm. you know, um, at the time I was working at a restaurant, um, COVID happens. And by March, I'm like unemployed again. And I'm just like wondering what the hell is going on. You know, um, I was depressed. I was in my apartment in Brooklyn. Uh, I had already told my roommate at the time that I'm probably going to have to move out because I don't know how I'm going to continue to pay rent mm -hmm. with no money coming in. And lo and behold, I'm going through my mail and uh, I see a letter from SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. And I'm like, oh, great. I have to pay union dues. But I opened the letter and it was actually a residual check from mm -hmm. David Makes Man. It was my first residual check I'd ever gotten. And it was a little above um, 8500 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I just started breaking down crying. And I'm like, this is a sign. Like, I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm gonna be able to pay rent for the rest of the year. I'm good. Let me just like continue to do what I'm doing. Um, and then I used the rest of that time to really just dial into my soul. Like I started meditating mm -hmm. every day. Um, I started reading a lot more. I was working out. I had gotten in the best physical and mental shape of my life in 2020. And um, that's when I started my like, motivational journey for myself, but also putting it out there for other people to hear. Like I just when I started like sharing my little gems of philosophy on life with, with Instagram and Twitter yeah. and people started resonating with it. And I just saw my journey as a way to kind of uplift others and, and, and show other people like, yo, watch what I do with this. I haven't worked in two years and I didn't go to a prominent acting school, but watch what I do. And you know, one thing led to another. And by the time 2021 20, rolled around, I was ready for whatever was to come. I had just come back from Peru. Well, actually, I was still in Peru. Mm -hmm. I was in Peru. I had just finished my ayahuasca journey, which we could talk about if yeah, you want. Yeah, for sure. Let's do that. And um, I auditioned for, for Law and & Order in the hotel room in, in Lima, Peru. And once I sent off that tape, I it sounds crazy, but I was like, I just booked Law & Order like 100%. Wow. Two weeks after that, you know, usually you get a call back or a director session, producer session. But after that tape, my people called me, my, my agent and my manager were like, yeah, they don't want you to have a callback. They're giving you the role. They're offering you the role. So um, that was January of 2021. And I haven't stopped working since, thank God, you know? Amen to that. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit more about that journey though. Yeah, man. Um, so ayahuasca, for those who don't know, the main ingredient in it is DMT, which they consider to be the spirit molecule and DMT um, causes you to essentially dream while you're still awake. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's supposed to connect you to your higher self. It's a form of psychedelic, similar to mushroom, psilocybin. Um, but for me, I just felt called to do ayahuasca because a few people that I trust had done it. And they said that 
it opened up their eyes to other parts of life that they hadn't thought about. Um, you know, I had heard certain people talk about it on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I just felt like I wanted to see what, you know, what I could learn about myself from doing it. I had watched Chelsea Handler do it, and she said that it helped her let go of past traumas and things of that nature. So I went to Peru. I got a recommendation from my friend Salim about where to do it at, and it was uh, with a shaman. And essentially, they guide you through this process where they have you drink the ayahuasca, which is a natural plant medicine that they've been using in the Amazon and certain parts of uh, Central and South America for hundreds and thousands of years. Um, you drink it, you're in a meditative state with your eyes closed, and then essentially you start purging, like you actually vomit, and that's when the actual trip starts. So I started seeing like a lot of nature, started getting in touch with my grandma who had passed. Like it felt like she was guiding me on this journey. And um, I started diving into my life in ways that I had never done before. It felt like 20 years of therapy in one night. It was wild. You know, I was seeing things from childhood. I got to witness some like glimpses of my future. Um, and when I got out of the ayahuasca experience, I kind of realized that life is what you make it. Like if, if we're really here for a purpose, then you need to really just figure out what that purpose is and just go with it. So I realized that I'm supposed to be an artist, I'm supposed to be acting. And I feel like my duty here is to enlighten everybody who gets to see my art, see my work. And when I get the opportunity to be on a platform like this, I should be able to share with people that, yo, we have so much power in our minds. Like we just have to be in tune enough to want to use it. You know what I'm saying? So that journey just changed my life completely. I, de I definitely recommend Whenever you are, or if you are, feel to like take that journey and do ayahuasca, do it. It, it. it just opens your eyes to who you really are and what the purpose of life for you actually is. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, Will Smith actually just spoke about it in a recent interview, too. I think he did it. I only did it once, and I don't think <laughs> I'm ever going to do it again. Okay. I think once was enough for me, but I think Will did it like over a dozen times oh, wow. when he was trying to figure life out. And he said that, you know, he finally was able to let go of a lot of traumas and things of that nature when he did it so it's a it's an interesting medicine man really an interesting is. experience too, yeah for like. sure um now nick uh, i know we touched upon just how you know how you evolved as just an actor and stuff i'm curious to know is there any particular advice you would share for the people who may be struggling you know to book that next gig or even journalism as well and stuff you know maybe you could tap into that a little bit but what advice would you share to them you know, for, for them to see the light at the end of the tunnel. For me, it's, it's about surrendering. Mm. You know, um, I was, I must have auditioned on about like at least 70 projects in the span of the two years that I hadn't worked. And I didn't even get a call back. Wow. There was no call back up until November of 2020. That was my first call back. I think it was for Blue Bloods or FBI, one of those um, procedural shows, a New York, you know, very yeah, New York shows. Sure. And I remember feeling like, oh, shoot, like, all right, I'm finally getting some traction. And I, you know, you, you think about giving up countless amount of times. Like, I'm sure whoever's listening to this right now is like, yeah, like I've thought about giving up before. Maybe they had given up for a period of time or want to. But the best advice is if you really feel like this is what you're supposed to be doing, then just keep going no matter how long it takes. Like I was willing, I think once I started to realize that I was willing to have zero money. I was willing to like have no woman want to date me like because I'm broke. Like I didn't care. I was like, 
this is my purpose. This is what I want to put my energy into. If I have to live with my mom, if I have to like do whatever, couch surf, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make this happen. So you can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. If you really look at all of your idols or whoever your, your, your um, role models might be in any industry, a lot of them had to struggle in order to like actually make it. And I feel like that's when you really find out what you're made of. That's how you build character. Nothing is easily handed to you. You know, like I said, my first role, I kind of felt like was a gift. Mm. And it finally taught me a lot about humility after I didn't get a role after that for two years. And I was able to actually put the work in and see if this is actually what I really wanted. And once the universe and God found that I'm ready for that next step, then I was gifted that next step. Um, When I look back, I'm like, if I would have, got a role right after David Makes Man, I don't think I would have fully made it. Mm. I feel like I probably would have lost myself. Mm. I don't think I had what it, I, don't, I didn't have the correct soul work in order to, 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 to keep continuing and actually fulfill my mission on this planet. So you just got to trust and believe that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And if you're going through hardship or struggles, you got to figure out what you're supposed to be learning at that point. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer in that. There's no better time when God says it's time. Exactly. And there you have it and stuff. So as we transition a little bit, and you know, it's 2019 happened, 2020 and 2021, law and order came, right? Organized crime. Um, speak a little bit more about just you being on set. What does day-to-day look look like being on set? You know, it's shot in New York, right? Yeah. You being a New Yorker, hometown and stuff. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that experience. Oh, it was so awesome, man. You know, uh, once I found out I got the role, um, to that point, I had never actually watched a full episode of Law & Order. Yeah. <laughs> really? Great. No. I have an uncle who is like the biggest Law & Order fan. Like he watches, I think he's seen every episode of SVU at least five times. Mm. So once he found out that I got the role, he was calling me. He was like, all right, you need to see the episode where Robin Williams was in it. That was my favorite episode. And you need to see like Mahershal Ali was also in it. And all these legendary actors were in it. So... I started doing my Law & Order education. I started watching the show. Um, and I actually understood why people were so obsessed with it. It's actually an entertainment. It's like very, 20 seasons, right? Well, they're on season 23 right now wow. of SVU. And they're bringing back the original Law & Order for, I think, season 20 or 21 right now. Um, but nah, man, it was just an incredible eye-opening experience because this was the first Law & Order series that uh, had a continuation of characters and an actual uh, full thought out season for for everybody that was in the show as a, instead of just the cops. Mm. So there wasn't like a one-off crime and then another one. It was pretty much our family, our crime family was for the whole first season. So being able to be like in that first rotation of that style of Law & Order was just a dream come true. You know, um, getting on set the first day. I mean, my first scene was with the legendary Dylan McDermott, him playing my dad. Um, yep. And I thought, I thought Dylan didn't like me at first. Which really? Is funny. Why? Yeah, Dylan is, that's my boy. Like yeah. we texted this morning actually. And uh, when I got on set, the first scene is when um, we go into the wine cellar and uh, he's asking me which wine should we have for dinner. And I'm like, I don't know, but I really want to start this business. I just need an investment. And before we shoot the scene, my first time meeting him is like, in that house and he was just coming over he was getting over a cold so he was like in a bad mood i thought like i was like hey man i'm nick he's like yeah (laughs) and i'm just like damn son this is i gotta just like i guess do what i gotta do on set and not 
expect everybody to want to be cool with me. Um, but as soon as we finished that scene, he's just like, hey, man, um, we should take some Instagram videos. He's like, what do you think about this song for, for this? And I'm like, oh, he's actually really cool. He's just getting over a cold. Um, and then he became, you know, one of his, he is one of my mentors now. So being able to be on set with him every day was awesome. Um, Danielle Truitt, the woman who mm -hmm. plays Officer Bell, she's great. That's one of my homies too. Um, I got to have a scene with Stabler and her together in the jail cell, which was one of my scenes in the show. You know, you see Richie curled up yep. into a ball crying. Um, nah, man, being on a New York legendary show like that as a New Yorker, it's like, that's a, just another check off the list. You know, my next dream is to throw off the first pitch at a Yankee game. That would be really dope. <laughs> that would be fire, too. Yeah, solidify the New York story, you know? Exactly. You got to wear Tim's that day, too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have to, yeah. But um, nah, man, it, Law & Order was great. Look at that, man. And then you also touch upon uh, role models and mentors and stuff. Like, who are some of your role models in the industry now? <sighs> well, you know, I look at somebody like Viola Davis and mm. I feel like she's the greatest actor of our generation personally. Um, she just, every, everything I see her in, I'm just like, damn, yo, nobody else could do it the way she's doing it, mm. you know? And, and that's no shade on anybody else, but I just feel like she is the most versatile um, actor that we have right now. Um, I also look at Leonardo DiCaprio Obviously, Denzel, you know, Denzel and I are from the same county, 914. Yeah. So I'm hoping that one day, you know, he randomly sees me talking about him in one of these interviews. And he's like, you know what? I need to be in a movie with that kid. Like, we're yeah. from the same spot. So let's make it happen. Um, you know, people like that. Uh, I really love Mahershala Ali and what he's been able to do on screen. You know, he's finally in his leading man um, roles right now. So I aim to try to, you know, make my mark and, and be able to be alongside of, alongside these legends. You know, I, I feel like one of my vision book items is to have Viola Davis play my mom in something. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That would be, be fire. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, I'm trying to manifest that. Yo, bro, let's keep doing it, man. Yeah. We do this on the show. And it's funny enough because you touch upon your mom really quick. And I think, you know, just recently, right, you, you, you stated this, that your mom had aspirations of being an actor. Yo, I had no clue until yesterday. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, um, like I said, I stay with family when I'm in New York since I no longer live here technically. And I'm at my mom's house and, you know, Sidney Poitier, rest in peace. He recently passed on, you know, but I grew up watching Sidney Poitier movies. My mom is a huge film buff, especially classic films. I, I grew up watching Humphrey Bogart and, um, Elizabeth Taylor and a lot of these like iconic Audrey Hepburn or Sidney Poitier, a lot of these iconic legendary actors. And, you know, one of uh, the movies that we had watched when I was young was To Sir With Love, mm. which is about Sidney Poitier playing a teacher who is in Britain. And he's basically like, it's that theme of a new teacher trying to formulate structure in this school that the kids just don't listen and they don't know anything about structure. So uh, yesterday I get home from the gym and my mom's like, Nick, we should watch To Sir With Love. And I'm like, yeah, for sure, we could do that. And she's just looking at me and she's like, you know, I used to have aspirations of being an actor. I really had like dreams to do it. And I was like, what are you talking, like what? I've been acting for all this time and this is the first time you're deciding to mention this? She's like, yeah, I mean, I never really thought that you, you, you know, would, would, would want to know that since mm -hmm. I'm like so far removed from that type of line of work as a nurse, but you're fulfilling those dreams for me. And man, I was just like, 
That's beautiful. It, it felt like poetic justice, you know? Um, so, yeah, my mom, shout outs to her. She's the most amazing woman I know. You know, she's just the type of person that has, she's sacrificed so much just to make sure her kids have what they need. Um, so, you know, my brother and I make sure to, you know, pay it forward and, and do dope stuff for her. But, um, yeah, I was just shocked to know that she wanted to be an actor. But then again, I could see it. Like, I get my, a lot of my sense of humor from both my parents, but my mom is hilarious. Like, she's funny. I can see her <laughs> doing fire. some uh, some dope roles. You know, who knows? It's not too late. It's not. I could throw her in a film one Why day. Um, my dad, too. He's like, I could see him as a comedian. He's a complete jokester. Um, he's an Irish dude. He has that gift of gab, that charisma, mm. you know? So it's pretty dope whenever you get to hear your parents say that you're living out the dreams that they saw for themselves before. That's amazing, bro. And I mean, like you said, bro, you you could do it yourself. You know what I'm saying? It's it's, it's gonna come. And I can't wait for for it to see for us to see that. Um, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the legends, but you, I mean, you're one in yourself as well because you marked history, bro. You are the first actor to portray Joker as a black Joker. Yeah. You know, and the first of the first. How important is that for you? And how important is it for the world to see that? <sighs> Man. Um hearing it every time I hear it it just sounds wild to me you know um because obviously when you think of the Joker think of Heath Ledger you think of Jack Nicholson um you think of Cesar Romero you think of um all the other Joaquin Phoenix um Jared Leto who I actually got to meet in Miami during Art Basel which was also one it was one of those stop in time freeze <laughs> moments like the Oprah so thing. what happened this time well this time I didn't okay. mess up uh, like uh, <laughs> I made sure to ask him a real question so you know my boy Ray and uh, my other friend Larissa they both hit me up on my phone we're at this uh this party and you know we had been there for about an hour we're just having a good time drinking listening to music I'm on the other side of the party it just happened like this I'm on the other side by myself and I get a text from Ray and then one from Larissa and they're like Jared Leto is here you need to meet him. And then I just felt like, I was like, what, what are the chances of this happening? You know? So I walk over to him and Ray is like, yo, are you ready? Mm. And it just felt like that same Oprah yeah. moment. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So he walks over to Jared and I'm thinking he had already spoken to him, mm. but he interrupts Jared during whatever conversation he was just having. He's like, yo, Jared, what's good? I'm Ray. And he's like, uh, okay, um, I'm Jared. And he's like, this is Nick. He's the first ever black Joker on CW Batwoman. And Jared was like, wow, that is awesome, man. Like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel great. Do you have any advice um, in terms of how to portray the role or how you would have done it? And he's just like, man, just have fun. Just dive into it. Mm -hmm. You know, fully give yourself to the role. And that's what I've done. And I feel like being able to know that they're going to be young, brown, black, you know, people of color that are going to be able to dress up as Marcus Jet, the Joker for Halloween, you know, have purple yep. braids and dreads in their hair. It's just like, ah, it feels great, man. It feels an, uh, amazing knowing that, you know, I'm part of the cause for more representation. Look at somebody like Sidney Poitier, and I'm like, he was the first ever black actor to win an Oscar for a leading role. Mm. And me being the first actor of color to to portray the black Joker is just another milestone that I, you know, fully own and accept. And I'm just grateful and blessed that Warner Brothers and um, the Batwoman team decided to, to 
blessed me with, you know? You know, as as you continue to, to look back and reflect on just all the success, you know, and we touch upon it doesn't happen overnight. What have you learned about yourself of just being a young black actor in the industry? Um, you know, I've learned that resilience is everything. You know, you, you have to have, uh, you have to just be your biggest fan and you can't allow anybody or anything to dim your light. You know, you have to own your space. You have to also be willing to listen and learn from everybody and everything around you. You know, you don't know it all. Um, you have to be willing to continuously be a student all the time. You know, I, the, the thing about journalism that helped me the most is being able to ask questions mm. and um, feel comfortable learning all the time. So, you know, whenever I'm around somebody like Dylan McDermott or whenever I get the chance to be around Viola Davis or Denzel or anybody like that, I'm always going to be willing to just sit back, listen, watch, learn, ask questions um, and know that you're not representing just yourself. You know, I know I'm representing, I'm representing a group of people. I'm representing, you know, a, a way of life. And, you know, that's why I was so happy that I can give my own twist on this Joker and I could give a little flair and a little sauce and seasoning on it because this was going to be the first of its kind. Um, so I think as a, as, a, as a young black actor who's coming up, it's just so about, it's just more so about knowing that you're representing uh, a culture. And you're adding to that culture, which is a dope thing. Um, I know there, there's another thing that, you know, Nick, outside of acting, outside of sports journalism, uh, you also touch upon um, your own production company. Yeah. Broken With Media, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about what inspired that and what we expected to see moving forward from that. Yeah, so it's just pretty much a small group of friends, myself, my boy Kwame Onowachi, who's a chef, and my boy Nana Kwame, yeah. Ajay Brenya, who is an author and master writer uh we're, we're just friends that hang out. And one day we were like, yo, why are we waiting for opportunities? Why don't we decide to start creating our own? And we came together and decided to create Broken Whip. And, um, you know, COVID slowed a lot of our ideas down, but that's all good. You know, we're coming back this year to regroup and um, make some strides forward. We have a few shows and ideas that we have on paper and we're meeting with different production companies and teams about getting them made. So... The main purpose of it was just so that we can have another lane where we aren't necessarily waiting for somebody to say, hey, here's a here's an opportunity. We want to be the ones going to people that can make things happen and saying, like, yo, here's an opportunity for y'all to invest in us and mm -hmm. make this happen. So, uh, yeah, you have a lot to look forward to in terms of Broken Whip. Um, Kwame and I actually just spoke yesterday about this one idea that we've been working on for the past year to uh, get made. And seems like it's going to happen in 2022. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing that. And shout sure. out to Nana too, because uh, he was in the last season here. So yeah. I had the pleasure of speaking with him. Um, you know, so what's next for Nick in general? What's next for Nick? What can we expect? Um, the, the beauty about it is I don't know. Like, I don't know <laughs> right, what's next. Enough. And I love that. You know, if you would have asked me, if I had this interview with you in 2019, when I hadn't worked <laughs> In, 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 in over a year, I don't think I would have said, well, the next thing for Nick is to take another year of not working and, and dive into myself. I don't think that would have been my answer. So I try my best to just live in the moment. Um, I don't know what's next. I, I would hope that I just continue to uh, live a purposeful life and, and like keep doing my thing. Um, I want to obviously make more art and that's what I plan on doing. Um, and yeah, just spreading 
the type of philosophy on life that I'm continuously spreading, you know, and, and knowing that we have every opportunity to seize the moment and make life what we want to make it. So I continue to plan on just like making it happen. That's amazing, bro. And we're super proud of you and you keep on. And Nick, I want to take this time to give you your flowers uh, for being accessible, you know, towards a lot of people. Because you, when someone DMs you, I know you're responding. You know what I'm saying? And that's a beautiful thing because, um, you know, you've been accessible to me in many areas where I was just looking for outlet when I was looking to just getting into the industry and media, entertainment and stuff. And I want to be able to give you your flowers for just being accessible, for being present and your humility throughout, you know, just the years of you just being Nick. So I definitely want to give you your flowers for that. I appreciate you, bro. And I mean, like, granted, like, I can't answer every DM that I get. Like, I'll, I'll be honest, it's hard to keep track with every single person that reaches out to you. But I mean, the people that I, I have seen over the years, like you continuously staying focused and actually having like their mind right and wanting to get places. Like I remember when I was in the same type of position that you that you were in when you're reaching out to people, I've been doing that shit too. So it's like, you know, iron sharpens iron. You know what I'm saying? So I see you doing your thing, man. Like you got your own show, yeah. you're interviewing people. That's awesome. So continue to do that. Um, I always told myself that whenever I continuously climb up the ladder, I'll do whatever I can to keep having people do the same and like just have that cycle continuing because I know what it's like to reach out to people when you have a good idea and you don't get to hear back. So whenever I do have the opportunity and the space and the headspace and the time to be able to do something like this, I love it because I mean, as you're learning from me, I'm learning from you too. And we're both like building with each other. So it's not, I don't consider this a favor. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm here like having a great time as well. So I appreciate that. Nah, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for saying that. Now, we always turn it back to the guests. Who would you give your flowers to? I mean, I got so many flowers to give out. Damn, you know, uh, I would give my flowers to everybody that's given me an opportunity to just do my thing. You know, there are so many people to thank along the journey, you know, and they know who they are. Um, but anybody that has decided to take a chance on me, um, you know, if, if, if nobody takes a chance on me, I don't have this conversation with you. You know, if Terrell McCraney doesn't say, you know what, I know he doesn't have any acting credits, but I'm going to give him that role. Mm. I want him to portray Desmond. You know, if um, my manager, Corey, doesn't take a chance on me at representing me, I don't continuously go on auditions. You know, if my mom doesn't raise me the way she has, then we don't have any of these convos. So my village is huge. You know what I'm saying? My village is 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 massive. So. I just thank all those people that have added to where I'm at. And um, I thank all the people that will continue to do so. So I got a lot of flowers to give out. <laughs> you know, it's not just one person. Now, as we kind of wrap up in the, in the last minute things, um, you know, we have this, what we call the hidden gems. It's a variety of questions in here. All you have to do is just pick one question, read the top of mind, and whatever comes off the cuff, you say it. Off the cuff. Yeah. Right. Ready? Let All me right, just cool. shake it so you know there's something in there. All right. What was the most defining moment in my life over the past year? Ah, defining moment. Well, I guess it was uh, pretty much a year ago. 
exactly almost one year ago when I uh, when I decided to take that audition for Law and Order, and um, when I got that role, that was pretty much the most defining moment over the past year because that was the role that kind of set up the tone for 2021 and onward. Um, I finally got my next role after David Makes Man. And I said like, oh, I'm finally ready to really take this thing to the next level. I want to show people how much work I've put in over the past couple of years. And, you know, I started getting um, messages from people that were, was wa- that were watching my work. And they're like, yo, I see a difference. I see growth. I, I see that you're taking this thing seriously. Um, so I, I think getting that role in Law & Order, that uh, first role of 2021 was, was the most defining moment in my life for the past year. Look at that, bro. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, man. That's what we do. Um, you know, Nick, we're proud of you. You know, keep on hustle, keep on striving, bro, and keep on inspiring, man. We're definitely proud of you, and we can't wait to see what's to come next. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate y'all for sure. And, uh, yo, I'm, this is great, man. You got your, your cars, <laughs> the branding. Keep going, bro. Keep going. Don't stop. I will, bro. Yeah. And we will, man. We just... Having people like you on the show just make it so easy. You know what I'm saying? And once again, I just want to thank you for being here. No, most definitely, man. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. That was Off the Cuff with Nick Cregan.